The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit downtownchurch.com. So let's go now to Hebrews chapter 1, and let's hear from the Word of God as we kick off a new series this morning. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Thank you, Donna. Pray with me. Father, we need you to speak to us. We need you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive. It's so much easier to believe our experiences. It's so much easier to believe our doubts and our skepticism. It's so much easier to believe that there's nothing than to believe the words we just heard. But Father, there is only life in your word. There's only life in your Son. It's the life for which we were created and for which Jesus lived, died, and rose. So Jesus, come and speak to us in the coming moments. Make this message personal to us where we are. Father, would you convert? Would you revive? Would you convince? Would you do the work that only you can do? I declare that I am powerless before your word, and yet you are power. So come in your might. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've told you several times before, those that have been part of this church body, that um, our first about 18 months at downtown church, or really not at downtown church, our first 18 months back in Memphis were really, really... um, Hard. It was a season and period of uh, unprecedented suffering and trials in our lives. And it started out uh, really within the first two weeks. Uh, before we were even back here, our, Rachel and I were back, our middle daughter, who had moved back a week or so earlier, was in a, um, a really bad car wreck. She was sitting still at a, a stoplight when a 14-year-old boy who took his parents' car out for a joyride uh, was going 40 or 50 miles an hour and uh, was bending over trying to pick up a CD and not paying attention and hit uh, my daughter's car in the back um, and uh, messed up her neck and her back 
pretty bad. And then the next week, when we did move back, I developed a herniated disc in my neck that um, put me really, I would say, in bed, but I couldn't lie down because I, I, so I really wasn't in bed. I was in a chair. Uh, it was about the only relief I could get because of a herniated disc in, uh, in my neck. And it was the worst pain that I had been in up to that point or have been in uh, since then. And I spent many long nights in a chair, uh, two to four in the morning, were absolutely excruciating. We had uh, left uh, a people that we loved in Colorado, and we came to Memphis to plant a church, but there was no church planted. Uh, we didn't have a group. We didn't have a community. Uh, it was just us. Uh, to make matters worse, we lived right across um, from a nightclub, and um, from about it really started hopping at about midnight till about 4:30 in the morning, and I mean the speakers were blaring right at our our bedroom window, Vance um, and uh, front or Vance and Main. Beyond that, uh, my wife Rachel had a we we got out of town for a little bit to have a break from it all, and she injured her shoulder. Uh, while skiing, uh, she experienced a deep labrum tear and had surgery. But the, the worst part was not the surgery, but the physical therapy. Anybody that's had um, surgery on a joint knows it's absolutely just torture uh, rehabbing, especially a, a shoulder. Um, and then one of our daughters, the daughters that was in that car wreck, was sexually assaulted by a massage therapist. Uh, she was not raped, but she was touched very inappropriately, and uh, we went through pressing charges and a trial, and um, then eventually standing before the massage board um, in Mississippi and having his license revoked. Um, and, on, and, and ten months in, uh, we had a house fire and lost everything um, and had to start the process of rebuilding and replacing, um, going through the insurance claim process, which I wouldn't uh, wish that on anybody. Um, but uh, anyway, just a tough, tough time. And at the end of all that, we got audited by the IRS. So uh, it, it was 18 months of just one thing after another, and it really beat us down. And I really think there were moments in our lives where we were asking the very same question that the believers in Rome uh, were asking, and that is, where is God? Uh, Where is He? Because trials and suffering tend to just bring your world, it, it tends to make your world really small. And you kind of lose sight of everything else for a while, and, um, and yet, if you do that as a Christian, you get lost in your suffering and you get kind of cut off from the one who can bring relief and who is bigger than your suffering. And that's where the believers in Rome were when uh, the writer of Hebrews, and we don't know who he is, wrote this. Uh, it was somewhere in the span of the year 40 to somewhere at the end of year 60. Uh, so it was either during Claudius's reign or Nero's reign, but it really doesn't matter uh, the exact time but the, because the circumstance was the same. Uh, there was deep persecution going on in the church. Both of those leaders uh, demanded that Christians in Rome recant their faith or uh, be killed, be burned. And uh, many were being burned at the stake. Many were being driven from their homes. Families were being separated. It was a horrible time um, in the church. And you can only imagine how these believers who were really Jewish converts uh, were feeling. 
And some of them were shrinking back and beginning to, to, be, to teach falsely that, hey, we need to go back to the old ways. Uh, we need to reinstitute the sacrificial system. We need to, uh, we need to go back and remember Moses and focus more on him than this, this Jesus. We need to, um, you know, we need to have a high priest who is with us who can intervene, uh, between us and God because at least in the old days, God seemed to be near in the midst of all the, the pomp and ceremony. And so God was distant. False teaching was running rampant, and, and God's people were taking their eyes off of Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews writes, and the first words that he presents are these, long ago. <laughs> long ago. You see, he's admitting that it seems like a long time since God had spoken. Long ago, through many, um, in many times, in many ways, God spoke past tense to our fathers. And then he says, but in these last days, God has spoken through his son. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, I know it feels like God is not speaking. I know that it feels like He is distant. I know that it feels like He is not interested in where you are and how you are being tried. But listen to me. God has spoken, and He's spoken through the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and this speaking, the way that He's speaking through His Son, is, is uh, more superior to any other way that He's spoken in history. So you need to listen up. Because God is speaking to His people. You see, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that Christianity is different from religion. Christianity is not about pomp and ceremony. It's not about feast and, and famine. It's about Jesus. It's about the living Lord Jesus who represents you before God and who can be known. So fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what he says. Eyes on Jesus. He says, don't look at anything else. Don't get lost in your suffering. But have your eyes on Jesus. Are your eyes on Jesus? Are my eyes on Jesus? Is Jesus growing large to you? Or has he grown very small? I think C.S. Lewis in his <clears throat> Chronicle of Narnia's series says it best. Uh, there was a, a moment when little Lucy, the, the young girl in the story, um, and if you're not familiar with Chronicles of Narnia, it's, it's about four children, young children, who happen upon, um, through a wardrobe or a closet, they, they hide in the back of the closet and they walk out the backside and they're in this magical land. And it's in Narnia that they meet this lion called Aslan. His name is Aslan. And he is the Christ figure. And so uh, the children are, you know, having um, um, adventures with Aslan throughout the different books that are written. And at what point in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy sees Aslan after a long period of time, after she has grown up a little bit, and here's the dialogue that we have. Aslan says this to Lucy. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. Well, that's because you're older, little one, answered Aslan. And Lucy said, not because you are bigger, 
And he said, I am not. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. And dear friends, that's the Christian life. Is Jesus getting big to you? Or has he grown small? You see, the the whole thrust of Hebrews, it's one of the hardest books, supposedly, but it's really simplistic. It it really uses a lot of Old Testament um, um, illustrations and applications, but in essence, all all it's saying is, Jesus is bigger and he's better. Trust him. He's bigger and better than anything you can go through. So trust him. See him as bigger than whatever you're facing. And friends, that's our prayer and hope for this series. This morning, I have several points, but they're all driving home this reality. Jesus is bigger and better. First of all, Jesus is bigger and better because He is God's heir, the heir of all things. Again, that sounds pretty irrelevant, doesn't it? There's nothing more relevant. I'm sure that you have been fascinated over the last eight years with the Obama family. Um, I have really loved watching this family, watching uh, the president and the first lady just parent their children. Uh, they, they seem to be just incredible parents. And um, President Obama said just a few weeks ago that they're going to stay in D.C. Um, because they want to let Sasha, I believe it is, finish her, her uh, last couple years of high school. And, I mean, that just endeared them to me more, you know, that they're, they're, they're focusing on, you know, their child and not ripping them out of um, her high school. But whenever a president is in office, I don't know about you, but I get fascinated by the family. Um, and I've always dreamed about what it would be like to be a friend with one of the children of the President of the United States. I mean, what would a sleepover look like at the White House, you know? What would family vacation, if you were invited to go to Hawaii, which that's where the Obamas go because uh, President Obama's from Hawaii, what, you know, what would it be like? And the reason that that's fascinating to us, the reason that we like to think and maybe dream about being close to somebody powerful is because there's going to be benefits for us. And so, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus is the heir of God and therefore the heir of all things. You know, where it would be cool to be a friend with Sasha or Malia, you know, President Obama is only the leader of the free world, not the whole world. (laughs) And his power is very limited, even though it is very extensive. But God... God reigns over the world. If there's anyone that you should want to be connected to, it is the one who is the heir of all things, who has finished the work, who has lived and died and rose, ascended and sits at the right hand of God. If you're in the midst of suffering right now, or when you are in the midst of suffering, just think that the God that you can know is heir of all things. There is nothing he can't do. But then secondly, Jesus is bigger and better than anything we face because through him, God made the world. That's what the text says. God, through Jesus Christ, has made the world. Now that seems kind of out of our experience too, but it's really not, especially if you're a parent. I was on the phone this week with um, my oldest daughter, Whitney. And she just got a promotion at ALSAC, which is uh, the fundraising arm of uh, St. Jude. 
And in her new role, she has um, control of a $24 million budget. And, you know, it's kind of laughable to me. I'm like, you know, they put $24 million in my daughter's hand. You know, uh, maybe they, they should have asked me first. But um, but I, I'm very honored by that. And we were talking about just the challenges she is facing in her new job because with greater responsibility comes greater responsibility. And she is feeling that and, and having to balance, you know, the, the demands of this promotion with... Um, her life as a mom and a, um, a wife. And yet, as we're talking, I, I'm just, I'm so proud. And, and then, my youngest daughter, Amy Catherine, is getting her master's in psychology at the University of Colorado in Denver. And she called this week, too, and said she was able to, to um, watch or observe a, a counseling session that one of her pro- professors was having with a real-life person in need. And and we were talking through that, and I could tell her excitement, and I was really kind of impressed by her analysis of the issues and um, and her knowledge, uh, the extent of her knowledge at this point in her first year in this master's program. Um, and yet I was proud. And then Ashley, our uh, middle daughter, who has been a teacher, a first grade teacher for the last eight years, sent us our family a video of this little girl that she is tutoring outside of class, helping her to read. And this little girl is hysterical. Her, she, her personality and the way her mind works is funny, and that's really why she was sending the video. And we were laughing at some funny things the little you know, first grader was saying. Um, but all I could think about, really, was how proud I was of my daughter who for eight years has poured herself into, you know, 25, 30 first graders, um, changing their lives, teaching them to read at this formative age. And, and, and as I stepped back, and I was thinking about that this week in light of God creating the world through His Son, Jesus Christ, the reality that, hey, this must be what He's talking about. Uh, if you don't bring it into this personal relational element, it's really um, it's really kind of far from our understanding and and out of our reach. In turn, but if you bring it into the father son relationship, which the writer of Hebrews is clearly doing, it's very clear because you see, I feel like as a parent that I am an extension of my daughter in Colorado. That in some way, as she stands for her faith, is the only Christian in her program. And as she excels in her class, making perfect grades the first semester, I feel like I've accomplished something. And as my daughter Whitney at Allsack, as she is succeeding and being recognized for her leadership abilities and being promoted in, in Allsack, I feel like it's happened to me. And as my daughter Ashley, it, you, do you get it? So through Christ... God has made the world. Now, what, what does that mean? It means that the Father and the Son, even though the Son didn't have a beginning, I, we don't know how this works. This is high and far above us. But even though the Son didn't have an, a beginning, the Father and Son have this relationship in which the Father is pouring Himself into the Son. He is imprinting Himself on His Son so that when the Son acts, it's as if the Father's acting. And so the the Father literally is giving over the work of creation to His Son, and the Son gets it right. And do you understand that this is the God that you have direct access to? 
Who gets it right every time? Jesus is bigger and better. But thirdly, He's bigger and better than anything we face because He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of His being. I've told you about my dad many times, and he's not a believer. Uh, it's been a painful reality in my life, to be honest with you, because he's uh, 82 and getting toward the end of his life. Uh, but not only is he not a believer, he um, he was an SAE at Arkansas, and to those that understand what that means, uh, he hadn't really grown out of that. Um, he uh, has got a lot of life out of the party and out of having fun. And this <clears throat> rang true to me. This uh, about a month ago, because uh, an older lady moved into a house about four houses down from us, and we were having a block party, and she came out. I introduced myself to her and, sh- and asked her questions about herself, and she said she was from West Memphis, Arkansas. And I said, really? Well, my dad is uh, from West Memphis, and I spent some time over there. And So she said, well, who's your dad? And I, I told her, and she said, oh, man, we had some wild parties at your dad's house. And then we get kind of toward the end of the conversation, and she looks at me and she says, well, are you a lawyer like your dad? And I said, no, I'm a minister. And and she said, you've got to be blanking me. I said, it's true. It's true. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. You see, we expect children to be like their father. And she was amazed that I am not. When Jesus says, or when the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of His nature, what it's saying is, Jesus is just like His daddy. Anything you can say about God, you can say about Jesus. And you know, that's wonderful, but you can't just stop there. When we lived in Colorado, we lived on the front range. And uh, if you've never been to Colorado, most people, the first thing you think about when you think about Colorado are mountains. But if you drive to Colorado, it is by, you hit the state line in, in Kansas and you still have five hours before you get to the mountains. And it is flat. And so we lived on the front range, which is the flat part that goes right up to the base of the mountains. So we could see the mountains. We could see a 14er called Long's Peak from anywhere in the city and anywhere in our neighborhood. Snow-capped mountains for 90% of the year. But until we would go into the mountains, we would just be living in the shadow of the mountains. But when you go in the mountains, it changes you. Because when you're, when you're running, when you're skiing, when you're fly fishing, when you're hiking, when you're mountain biking, when you're in the mountains, it is life-giving. And I, I say that not tritely because many that we were in relationship with would say, yeah, I'm not really, I, I'm not, I, I'm not a churchgoer, but I'm very spiritual and creation is, is where I really feel the closest to God. And, you know, if they say that in Memphis, you know they're lying, but if they say that in, in Colorado, they're saying something. Because it's true. I experience God in a very real way in the mountains. And yet as we think about what the writer of Hebrews is saying about Jesus, 
I think many of us as Christians live in the shadow of Jesus, but we don't live in the experience of Jesus. Because... Everything else in life we are experiencing. When we go through trials, we are experiencing the reality of our trials. When I stood before my house, when the firemen were just putting gallons and gallons of water, and water was pouring out the front door, I was experiencing that. I can still smell smoke, the smell of that smoke, eight years later. Uh, When I got the call that from my daughter and her voice was shaking and she was crying and she told me what this massage therapist did to her, I can feel that. It it sets me off in a rage sometimes when I think about it. Uh, You get it. We experience trials. It's not just some intellectual thing, oh yes, my house is... No, we feel it. We experience it. And that is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You've got to do what one of the songs we sang this morning. You've got to get your eyes over the waves and you've got to see Jesus and you've got to experience Him till He is bigger than the waves around you. Till He is more real to you than the news you just got. You see, that's what Jesus is and that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying He is bigger and better than anything. And if you don't know that this morning, then you do know something. If you're not experiencing that reality this morning, you're experiencing something. So what are you experiencing? You see, to experience Jesus is to experience what the psalmist... That's what I love about the psalms. Because the Psalms are just people's expression of their experience of God. Listen to Psalm 145.8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Now why do you think the psalmist said that? Because let's think of some theology. Let's get in my stuff. No, he was going through some junk. And he experienced the, the fact that his God was faithful and his loving kindness was everlasting and he could do nothing but put it on paper. You see, we have to experience God or he's nothing to us. It's not just theology. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you hear the experiential reality of the power of Jesus Christ? You will find rest for your souls when you focus on Jesus, when you take, when you believe Him by faith, when He becomes more real to you than your troubles, more real to you than your suffering. And He will give you rest in the refuge of His love and living relationship. And then thirdly, Jesus is bigger and better than anything we face because He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Again, words that seem like they're too far for us to really bring into our front door and believe and understand, but they're not. Rachel and I have vacationed a couple times in Cabo San Lucas. Um, Man, a beautiful, beautiful place. And um, someone we know has allowed us to use their place there. And what I love about it is it's the beauty of it, but it's also primarily the wait staff. Uh, I mean, you can't put a glass down without them 
you know, coming over there? Do you need anything? There's, you feel like you kind of live in this reality for a week, and then you got to go back to reality, but you, you live in this reality that anything I ask for, I can get. My word has power here. That's it. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus, there's nothing. When He says it, it is done. There's nothing beyond His power. Do, do you get... Let's talk about the universe for a minute. Alright, you science buffs. Uh, check me out here. I hope I'm right. If not, you can correct me later. But the, the distance between the earth and the, the sun is 93 million miles. The distance between the sun and the nearest star is 270,000 times 93 million. Okay, if you take the earth and the star and the sun and you compare it to the universe, you can't even see it. And Jesus, so says the writer of Hebrews, upholds the world, the universe, by the word of his power. Do you think that he can handle the problems that you're facing? Do you see how beautiful that is? This, this has got to be something that you fall into. This has got to be something that's real to you. It's not just some experiential um, experience with a myth. It is experiential reality that you have to get into and understand and preach to yourself in the midst of the troubles because every because our trials are preaching sermons all day, every day. But you've got to listen to the sermon of Jesus that says, I control the universe by the word of my power and I am yours. Well, how do we know that? You're, you're mine and I'm yours because, man, look at my heart and look at what I've done in my life. Everybody else has told me I'm worthless. So why should I believe you, God, because of this last point? Jesus is bigger and better because he made purification for our sins and then he sat down at the right hand of God. I don't know if you saw the cover of Time magazine last week, but it was on pornography. Um, I really... I I encourage you to read it because I think pornography is is one of the most silent killers of men and women in a multiplicity of ways uh, that is in our society right now. Um, Pornography existed, obviously, when I was 14 or 15 years old, but it was in a magazine um, at the 7-Eleven. Pornography now is at your fingertips 24-7 because most 14- and 15-year-olds have a smartphone, which is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Um, What that article points out is that no matter what you believe about the morality of pornography, it is a, a threat to our civilization. That's what this article, that's what they're saying. Um, and you, you have to read it to figure that out. But I was in a, another conversation. I had three conversations this week um, with different men in our body about pornography. And um, one of the men was telling me about a po- podcast that he listens to. And he said in that podcast, um, the, the guy speaking talked about, um, you know, looking at pornography online, but... Um, then when he, when he finished, when he got to the end of it, he would delete his search history so his wife wouldn't see it. 
And then he started talking about that experience of deleting the search history and deleting the the cookies um, off his computer. He said it's almost like he was being cleansed when he would press that button. It, It would give him a fresh start, if you will. And as I was studying this and and the reality that Jesus is the purification of our sins, he purified our sins and then he sat down at the right hand of God. I said, that's it. That's it. You see, Jesus knows our search history. He knows everything that we've done, everywhere that we've gone, everything that we've thought, everything that we've dreamed about. He knows everything that we've done. And he knows everything that we're doing. And he knows everything that we're going to do. And he puts it all up on our search history and he hits delete. Because in him, yes, amen, there is cleansing. And it is not just cleansing to try again. That's what people, many try to make Christianity to be. All right, he's forgiven you. Now go prove that you don't disappoint him. You're going to disappoint him. If he holds his law up without his cross up, you and I are doomed. We are dead in the water. If Christianity is try, 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 fail, ask for forgiveness, try, 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 fail. No. Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. It is done Your works are done. I know you can't do it, so I came and I did it for you. I lived under the expectations of my Father. I said, Father, put everything that you expect Richard Reeves to do on me. And I'm going to do it for him. And then I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to take everything Richard Reeves is not going to do and does sinfully. And I am going to punish, you can punish me, and that's what Jesus has done. And dear friends, that is incredible news. (laughs) And if you don't know that news this morning, you are hopeless. Because either you are living in pride, thinking that you're doing pretty good, which you don't know God's law if you think you're doing pretty good. Or you're just, you've given up on yourself because you know you can't do good and you know you're not good. But there's a third way, and his name is Jesus. And it's a living reality. That you can come to Him and say, you know everything I've done, everything I'm doing, and everything that I'm going to do or want to do. But you are offering me your unconditional love. And once I have it, there's nothing that can separate me from it. And the only thing I have to do is believe that you have lived, died, and risen for me. That sounds absurd, if it were not true. The writer of Hebrews says it's true. Would you come to Jesus this morning? Would you fall into His loving arms? Would you receive salvation if you don't know Him? Would you receive the freeness? And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So if you are living in your guilt and shame, you're not, you're not, your guilt and shame doesn't get you close to Jesus. Your faith and the reality of His finished work gets you close to Jesus. It is for freedom that He set you free. So receive a new forgiveness and love and walk in it out of this place today and be different. That's the message of Hebrews and that's the message of the Gospel. May we believe it and may we bathe in it for the next 12 or 13 weeks. Lord Jesus, thank You. I couldn't make this up if I had to. I'm just not that smart and I don't think anybody is. 
Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to carry out the eternal plan of your Father, that you came to live, to die, to rise, to ascend, to sit at the right hand of your Father, and you're coming back for us to put an end to all this mess one day, someday. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We wait on you. We long for you. Help us to be faithful in the interim. Help us to to speak your gospel to somebody. Help us to pour our lives out for you, to give the world a taste of Jesus. Father, would you do your work in and through this body? We pray this in Jesus' name.